your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle, Empire. Welcome to, uh, as we're wrapping up the regular season here, this latest edition of the Off Tackle Empire Basket Cast. If you, if you missed our previous 52 installments, then uh, shame on you. Yeah, I don't know where you've been. We considered you to be our loyal listeners on this basketball podcast. We've definitely been doing twice, at least three times a week, the entire basketball season. As we promised, we keep our promises here on Off Tackle Empire. Promises made, promises kept. Just in case you did happen to miss all of our content here with basketball, we're going to give you a, a, a quick season recap. The whole okay. thing, all of it at once. Yep. This, is, this will be. This is part, obviously part you can one. get into it. You can get into it in much more detail by going back through our archive. Part one of sixteen uh, here on the recap series. So the first thing we're going to do is go basically team by team basis. Now that the regular season is wrapped up, of course, if you were under a rock, Michigan State and Purdue tie for the conference championship. Uh, Michigan in a close second place, and then pretty good stratification down. After after that so we'll go through on a team by team basis and see whether the teams lived up to or failed to meet the expectations of the off tackle preseason uh, projections which of course are the only preseason projections that any of you would pay attention to being again our loyal listeners so we'll go i think alphabetical order is a pretty good way to start which gets you in your wheelhouse right away um the illinois fighting illini slash um man otters I really hope they go through with that logo change. By the way, the the, <laughs> the projections I've seen look it already it's pretty it already failed in the student uh, uh, the student non-binding <laughs> referendum already failed. I am the Senate. <laughs> Indeed. So, what exactly did we have there for the for that projection? So, um, the projections we're talking here are an average of all the projections made by the Off Tackle Empire writers before the season started. So, we on average projected. I the dog found a squeaking toy within like ten seconds of us getting started, which is probably a new speed record for him. But in any case, we projected Illinois to go eleven and twenty overall and five and fifteen in the conference, which would have been good for thirteenth. Uh, in the Big Ten. Now their actual rankings, uh, 11 and 20. So we nailed the overall record. Um, they did do a couple games better in conference than we thought they would though. And that was good to tie them for 10th place, which a few ranks higher than we thought they'd be in the conference, mostly by virtue of, you know, the conference schedule being a little bit front loaded such that it eased up form a bit down the stretch. I think fair to say. Yeah. The, well, I mean, the, the part of the conference schedule where they were winning was kind of actually against some solid teams. I mean, we fi- finished off against the bottom three teams in the conference and only managed to win one of those. So <clears throat> it's weird because we nailed the overall record. Um, um, underrated the conference record, so we, we appreciated that the schedule was going to be tough in the offseason, but of course we also didn't anticipate things like losing to Florida Atlantic, and just how discombobulated the team looked for, I mean, they opened up Maui by taking Gonzaga to the wire, but then they then the wheels kind of fell off by the end of that Maui thing. Right, I don't think we necessarily, and that's probably the, that's the difference, right? We probably expected Illinois would struggle a little bit more in conference play, but then a couple more of those non-conference games would be winnable, so Illinois is going to be in kind of an interesting position here. Um, hard to say that it's been a success of a season by any means, but at least according to our projections, not a whole lot is likely to be expected of them in the first place. It's 
a very young team, fair to say. I mean, the, the transition period between Gross and Underwood was probably one of the more jarring that we've seen recently. Um, Didn't have to be this way, by the way. I, I really, I mean, and I say that uh, because he carried an open scholarship each of those two years. Um, right, I which, know. I mean, you you would think, like, can't you find, Adonis Del Rosa's been a decent pickup for him. Can't you find another body or two, like, guys who want to play in the big damn 10? Like, graduate yeah, transfers I mean, from lower tier Division One conferences. Like, there's got to be plenty of those guys out there. Adonis Del Rosa had a little bit of, had maybe about a month of being decent, but, I mean, it's still, better than it's having an open player. scholarship. Than an open isn't scholarship. It? Yeah, I mean. That's exactly my, my point. It's it's better than open scholarship. You know, people are all over Kipper Nichols, who has just struggled mightily and being like, well, you know, redshirt junior, he should just get out of here. Oh, well, we've only got two commits right now, so what's better, Kipper Nichols or an open scholarship? I can't understate, I can't overstate the fact that open scholarships are less valuable than basketball players. Right, especially the way that Underwood's press defense is going to cause Wings in particular to rack up a lot of fouls. You gotta have everybody you can, so it's not been the greatest roster management there, but it's been pretty clear from close to the beginning that if you're not, if you don't fit the program, so to speak, that you're not gonna have a place on that team. So, um, that being, um, go ahead. Georgie Bajanishvili has been absolutely found money. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, for sure. I, one of the reasons that the projection was so low was because I expected absolutely nothing from the front court, and the dude came in and was, you know, a reasonable Pretty Big good. Ten starter at, at forward. As a right? freshman. He was a power yeah. forward as yeah. a freshman, which is a, which is a tough ask for anybody, let alone a guy that pretty much everybody else missed on, and we didn't even know what to expect from. That being said, uh, his surprise emergence didn't prevent us from losing 20 games for the first time in the history of the program, uh, but 7-13 in conference, although, you know, it would have been nice if maybe they'd been spread out a little more, <laughs> as opposed to losing five of the last six. Yeah. It still beats the 4-14 four and 14 conference record from last year. We'll see in the offseason how the program stays together, if any unexpected departures happen. Right, well, and you, you commented on this before the year that this is maybe getting a little bit deeper than the typical listener's going to want, but the way that some of the recruiting has gone and some relationships that may have been damaged uh it, it may be difficult once they'll soon move leaves whether that's after this year or next for underwood to continue finding talent of that level um we'll see we'll see how it goes i think guards are going to want to continue to play for him because you do have the opportunities to play in a system that's kind of guard friendly the way he did at oklahoma state but we'll see how how it goes going forward i mean it's it's been an adventure in roster management for brad underwood so far and it looks like it's going to continue to be that so got to be tournament or bust because otherwise Otherwise, what's what's even the point? You know, what's, what's the point of paying a guy this much money to coach at Illinois if you're not and and having him turn the roster over so quickly if you're not going to be positioned to make the tournament, especially after all the non-friends that he's made. Right, and the the conference is gonna is difficult this year is going to be difficult going forward, but that's not as much of a problem for getting in the tournaments it used to be because of the prominence of the net rankings and determining that. So if you're losing on the road to good teams, it's not really going to cost you anything. Um, Illinois really is. Going if their path to the Big Ten or to the tournament next year, to me, is getting rid of all these bad losses. You can't have Florida Atlantic as a loss. You got to beat Northwestern. Um, yeah. You, you can't I mean, have Miss, bad Missouri losses was actually kind of ended up aging very, very poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, even that that was a neutral site game, right? I'm not sure how those are. It's played, always a neutral so, site game. Yeah. 
So in any case, the, the road in a tough conference to the tournament is not that difficult if you get enough work done when you have the opportunities. You're going to have the opportunities, too. So, And that, you know, speaking of that, that brings us to our next team, which is Indiana. If you want to talk about a case study in this, a team that's now floating around 500, um, our preseason projections had them 21-10 and 10 overall and 13-7 and 7 in the Big Ten. So we, as a group, were very bullish on the Hoosiers. They finished with a 17-14 mark overall and just 8-12 and 12 in the conference, which tied them for eighth place so they're substantially worse than we thought they would be and granted they had injuries stringed up strung out over the course of the season but it was funny Romeo Langford for as much as he was talked about <clears throat> kind of felt like one of the least visible high impact freshmen that we've seen in the conference recently for sure I mean you know you just kind of recognize that he was there and I mean he led all freshmen in scoring but, yeah yeah but at the same time it, it was kind of like that was expected he was not doing things to materially make Indiana better, like stop them from that swoon. You know what I mean? He definitely, obviously, makes the team better, but it wasn't. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, and he's he's still doing that thing over there. Not like, oh wow, he's winning all these games. He got his points, but when they got better down the stretch, it felt like it was less about him than it was about Juwan Morgan playing better, Justin Smith kind of turning a corner and flipping the switch a little bit. They got better production from Devonte Green. Like it, to an extent, you could, you could just go ahead and say that that's attributable to. Romeo Langford is astonishingly consistent. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. That's the truth. I mean, you don't get, you don't average 19 something a game without putting up consistent scoring production. Um, he's pretty obviously a one and done, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think the expectations for Indiana were substantially higher in year two for Archie Miller than they were before. And it, it's always hard to extrapolate too much from reactions you see during games and after games that don't go well. But I think some of the shine may have come off of him a little bit, at least for portions of the Hoosier fan base that we interact with. How about that part of the season where Crimson Corey was just openly pining for Tom Crean? Yeah, Tom Crean um, of the, I mean, who I forget who they were losing to at the time when I first became aware. Again, I'm, I'm sure I knew, but when it came back into my consciousness that Tom Crean was coach at Georgia, I think they were losing to like uh, some like three lot, three win team or something. Um, but then he got one of the top, like a top five recruits in the country to sign up. Um, Anthony Edwards, is that the kid's name? Some kid from Atlanta, but in any case, he's right back to doing what he did before. He'll just glom enough talent together that somehow they'll succeed, although the SEC got a lot tougher this year, too. So anyway. So Indiana started, they kind of they kind of had the exact opposite season as Illinois because they started off, what were they, 12-2, and two, one of those like losses to Duke, and then they lost 12 of 13. Yeah, well, they, they got into, I think they were ranked as high as like 16 at, at one point, maybe even a bit higher than that and then as you said they went on this horrendous skid of course in the midst of that they swept their regular season series with michigan state because why not the boy <laughs> beating illinois just took everything that they had because they lost 12 or 13 after that i guess so <laughs> Uh, it's always good by how those things go. Um, but they closed out the season by beating Wisconsin and Michigan State and then uh, smoking, blowing the doors off of Illinois and Rutgers. Yeah, so they come in on a little bit of a high note. They probably have to win at least one game, maybe two, in the Big Ten tournament to ensure they're safe I would on, the say tournament at least two. on the tournament bubble. Well, like I said, the overall record yeah. thing 
is is right. It's misleading because they they housed Marquette. They um, they had an impressive win against. They've got the two wins against Michigan State. There's somebody else on their schedule that is going to end up serving them very well who escapes me at the moment. Uh, but in any case, Butler? um, Butler's been kind of down this year. I'm not yeah. even sure they play. Oh, they must have because they had that crossroads thing and Purdue lost to Notre Dame. So you know people get that. But in any case, their net rankings justify it. I think after the second Michigan State and Wisconsin games, they had six quadrant one wins, which is going to be. I mean, look at some of the other teams that are considered to be on the bubble. Like, do you really think Clemson deserves to be in the tournament over Indiana? No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so it'll be interesting. It um, a few t- a few bubble teams here. Honestly, that Indiana Ohio State game is going to be interesting for a lot of reasons. We'll get to the Big Ten tournament in a little more detail a bit later, but. Maybe some work to do for the Hoosiers yet. They might be safe even with a day one loss in the tournament. Well, day two loss in the tournament. But you don't want to necessarily leave that up to the committee. Um, so this is going to be maybe the more one of the more interesting teams we talk about. Iowa. So we projected them to finish 16 and 15 overall and 7 and 13 in the conference, which based on the other rankings would have been tied for 10th. They finished 21 and 10 overall, five games better than we thought, and an even 500 in the conference, which puts them in sixth place. Um, four rankings higher than we thought they would be. However, uh, I don't think during the Fran McCaffrey era there's ever been as much steam behind the Fire Fran school of thought as there is right now because they, they've they had a little bit of a history of stumbling to the finish in the past, but boy, this, this year they have really taken that to another level. And it, I don't know if you caught the game they played yesterday recording this on Monday. Uh, boy, I get that it's senior day and you're on the road and that's always a tough, tough atmosphere, but Nebraska was down to like seven healthy players. A guy named Johnny Trueblood took a couple took a couple hours off from his metal band and started for Nebraska, played substantial minutes, actually made some pretty important plays. The moral of the story is Iowa had a 16-point lead in the second half, and they lost. So, um, and here's the thing since Iowa had a very impressive uh win against Michigan on February 1st, yeah, here's what they've done. Iowa, okay, since ran after Groundhog's Day, man, they've won three in a row, but those were against Indiana again in the midst of a 12 13 skid, uh, Northwestern by one point, a buzzer beater that they Northwestern blew an enormous lead. Yeah, Jordan Bohan saved their friggin' bacon. Iowa had no right winning, really. Um, and then a two-point win at Rutgers. I think that involved a Bohannon shot yes, late as well. Like. Yes, it did. So essentially, <laughs> shenanigans kept them from losing two of their next three. But they still won those three. Then, their only win for the rest of the season, they, they lost five of their last six, with the with their one win being Indiana's last loss. Uh, lost at Ohio State. Uh, got beaten by 14 at home against Rutgers. And that Ohio State loss, that was a 20-point loss. And I that might have been the first... First, I don't remember if Caleb Wesson played in that game. That might have been the first game he was suspended. No, he was still there. That was the game where they let Kyle Arn's little brother go for like 30-something. Yeah, uh, held to 45 against Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like, which of these is even the worst loss? Like, it's hard to parse through and figure out what, you know, would you rather look completely incompetent on offense, which is supposed to be your calling card against Wisconsin? Would you rather lose and give up a boatload of points to an Ohio State team that's been anemic all season? Like, there's a lot of stuff to criticize here, and this even this 
last Nebraska game, like Luca Garza was nails for most of the game. And then as Nebraska is just eating away, like Tracy McGradying away this lead that Iowa has late, Garza's not on the floor. Like Nebraska had their two best big guys who both fouled out. They had nobody who could stop the guy. All I have to do is put him within five feet of the basket and lob it at him and he'll catch it and finish it no problem. But they didn't do it. Instead, it was just... Bohannon and McCaffrey dribbling around on the outside and heaving up a three that the Nebraska defenders knew was coming. And man, it was like... It, that there was, was uh, Fran's first game back from a two-game suspension, of course. Right, which, you know... <laughs> for his, chasing an official down the hallway and cursing at him? That's fucking awful. I don't even remember exactly what he said. Oh no, he accused the official of cheating. That's what yes, it was. He's like, you're <laughs> fucking cheating. Come on, dude. You're supposed to be the adult in the room here, but... Um, <laughs> hmm. Iowa accusing somebody of cheating with absolutely no credible evidence. Where have I heard that one before? Yeah, uh, so thing anyway, unheard of. A thing unheard of. But so if you if you look at Iowa's season, but then you take out those two Bohannon shenanigans. Bohannigans. Bohannigans out of it. Then they're 19 and 12, 8 and 12 in the Big Ten, and have lost, uh, what, six, seven of their last eight. Yeah, and so what are the expectations for Iowa basketball, really? I I don't have that good of a sense of what they consider to be, like, what does Fran have to do in the eyes of a typical Hawkeye fan to stay? And it, it seems to be, I, I get the impression from our Hawkeye brethren that he's safe, Bart is not going to fire him, it doesn't really matter, but I want to know, like, what... Should they be expected? Because he had the team a couple years ago that was right there at the top of the conference. Did they end up winning? I don't know. I don't think they did. No. No. But they ended up at the top of the conference. But then after that, I mean, it's just like, they're just kind of there. And sometimes when you look at the individual pieces, like they, it feels like they should be better than this. Like, Bohannon's a sniper of a lead guard. Cook and Garza are a great combination down low. There aren't many offenses that have that kind of scoring tandem on the block in this league anymore. Like, what's the problem here? And why do things always fall apart down the stretches? There, It's not like they play some crazy attacking defense that just wears their guys out. It's not like they play an especially shallow bench. They haven't had injury problems this year, really. What's the problem here? And if Fran doesn't have better answers than, well, I think 10 and 10 is pretty good in this conference, um, he has to show him the door. I mean, granted, like his kid's on the team, and I think he's got another son who's supposed to be coming up that's a pretty good player, but you don't make these decisions on that basis. Like, Yeah, the question is, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do? You know, have things run their course? Have you seen enough? You know? And uh, what, okay, how about this? Uh, how would Iowa fans feel about hiring Fred Floyberg? <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a not insignificant part of the equation. He's shown he can succeed in Iowa, in the state of Iowa, whether you like to admit it or not. So, um, well, I mean, there, there, there was, I mean, UCLA's coach is uh, looking for a job, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's got a long track record. Coach in the Big Ten at one point, if I remember right. So we got to keep moving to, to stay on somewhat of a decent time frame here. So Maryland, um, this one actually not too far, uh, not too far off. We projected them to be 21 and 10 overall and 12 and 8 in the conference, which would have tied them fifth. They finished 22 and 9, 13 and 7 in the conference. Conference, they grabbed one more win than we thought, still did finish fifth in the conference. Um, probably a better than expected season for Maryland, given how young they are. Although then we look at the talent they have, especially in that freshman class, obviously it makes some sense that they're going to just outplay you to some wins here and there. Still the occasional reason to be frustrated with Turgeon's in-game coaching, but when the guy puts enough talent on the court that you have the advantage most of the time, I don't know how upset you can really be. Now, next year is probably going to be a big one. I mean, depending, I think Fernando 
Orlando is probably gone. I don't know that anybody else is going to be. And they got to figure, if, if everybody else stays, they got to figure out some way to get Anthony Cowan back on track because he looked lost this year without the ball in his hands as much. So I think next year kind of sets up as a big one for them. But Maryland isn't going to be an easy out. I mean, they've still got like, you know, crazy athletes across the board. Um, yeah, it, other than that, kind of a, kind of an unremarkable year for them though. I don't know that I ever had the thought. I mean, very early in the conference race, they were right there at the top in the top three. Is like, is Maryland going to be the school that crashes the Michigan party? Well, then they, they lost to Michigan State. And then really, I think everybody just kind of, I mean, the tipping point for a lot of, for, you know, for our Maryland contributor anyway, was they lost to Illinois. And then it was just seen as, well... Well, this is ruined. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was like, well, now they're two games back from the lead. They they won, they won against Northwestern, lost to Wisconsin. So then there's three of four. And then it's just, okay, now there's just too much ground to make up. And, you know, you had a chance and squandered it needlessly. Yeah, you know, that can be said about the race at large, which is that nobody was ever really out of it. I mean, Michigan State hit a three-game skid. Michigan lost Penn State. Um, Purdue really should have won the conference outright, that they tripped up late and face-planted against Minnesota. There's no excuse for that they should have had it themselves but in any case we'll speaking of the top of the conference race we'll move right along to michigan there projected at 23 and 8 overall with a 15 and 5 conference record we got the conference record right but they picked up a few more non-conference wins than we thought ending up 26 and 5 they finish in third place um, largely because they dropped both games to michigan state late in the season i think both of them were within the last four games of the schedule which in a way i kind of like and it would be it should absolutely be scheduling law in the Big Ten that these two teams play on the last day of the season from now on um, and that they always play twice a year. I think that part's already been corrected, but I don't necessarily need the two games to be that close together, but one of them needs to be the last game of the season from now on. So coming into this year, I think people were, it's gotten to the point now where Beeline every year has earned the confidence that he's going to be projected near the top conference. Yeah, no matter so. who is even on the roster, because right. there's been years where we've said, well, what is this roster even, you know? And this, not that this was one of those, because... No. Even even losing Mo Wagner and, I mean, Abdul Rahman and Robinson were decent players, especially Abdul Rahman towards the end of last year, but it's not like they were such irreplaceable pieces. I mean, Wagner was the guy, and you saw that against Michigan State in particular, where it's like, yeah, they're probably going to miss him just because he's kind of in a unique shaped talent. Like he's, you don't see guys like him all that often, guys of that size with that kind of perimeter skill, but they still had play going this year. They still had Simpson, they had Poole coming back, um, and they had a extremely well-regarded freshman class. Now, Brezdikas was pretty much the only guy out of that who actually attributed much, but they've still got, a, I mean, most of their talent is still underclassmen. And of the guys who played this year, Charles Matthews, who was dinged up down the stretch and probably part of the reason they lost a few games towards the end of the re year, but Matthews was their only senior who really played. So, depending on what NBA departures they have, probably going to be right back at the top of the conference next year. And in fact, regardless of the NBA departures they have, probably going to be right back at the top of the conference next year because the guy who is, um, who I'm sure is going to stay for his senior would be Xavier Simpson, who earlier on got some player of the year chatter. Now his numbers did not end up bearing that out, nor I think did, I think the high visibility of two matchups to catch with Winston, if there was any still, if there was still any hope that he was going to win the player of the year, those two matchups kind of ended that, but kind of hard to be disappointed if you're Michigan. I think at this point you're a little disappointed. I mean, again, if you don't have that Penn State loss, even getting swept by Michigan State, you're still claiming a piece of the banner. Um, now the Big Ten tournament has kind of been their wheelhouse the last couple years so maybe they still put something up maybe they make a tournament run but
but it's not been a characteristic beeline offense. I mean, they're they're this is probably the worst beeline shooting team of like probably this whole decade. So the fact that they've put together the record they I know the fact that they've put together the record that they have is kind of a testament to the way their system works and how incredible they are on defense avoiding turnovers. I mean, can I just ask this? Is there at this point any dissent that's not coming from the hinterlands outside of Champaign County as to whether or not Beeline is the best coach in this conference? You know, we're once we get through all the teams, we're going to go through kind of who we think might be on the hot seat. And I think the way we'll start that is by noting three guys who definitely aren't going to be Beeline, Izzo, and Painter. I don't know. It, different strokes for different folks. I still like Tom Izzo a lot because of what he did this year. Um, I think it's fair to say that Izzo definitely blew big opportunities in tournament the last two years, and that's took a lot, taken a lot of shine off me. But as much a, you know, as good a coach as Beeline is, and there's no question that he is. It's not, I mean, Izzo found Kenny Goins. Izzo turned Matt McQuaid from a lanky, just a shooter into a complete offensive player and the best defense player in the conference. Now, here's the difference, though, is you like Michigan State. Yeah. I hate Michigan. I hate him. <laughs> and well, that's like, I mean, the fact that I can't, that I don't refute it flat out of yeah. hand, and I am a Michigan State fan, should tell you how yeah. much respect I have for Beeline, because normally the mere notion of suggesting that Izzo is not the best coach in the conference would, you know, get me discredit, get me my credential folks. Um, yeah. It, when are we getting credit? <laughs> uh, we covered the MAC title game. We covered it back to back years now. That is true. Best coach in the conference? I don't know. Um, I think it all. It, no. It, there's too much. Too much that depends on context. You say. Well, and you know, again, you you'll you'll hear arguments for. What are coaches that you won't hear any arguments from, even from their own fans? Mark Mark Turgeon. Turgeon, yeah. Chambers. McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Um, maybe, maybe a few years ago you would have gotten McCaffrey, but guard. I don't think. I don't think any Wisconsin fans. At least ones that I've talked to have been overly impressed with guard. Nobody's gonna go up. Nobody's going to bat for Ooh, Coutinho. I forgot about Lowe's. yeah. I forgot about Little Ricky actually. I forgot he was still around. So none of the quadrangle guys. I, Chris Collins probably not anymore. No, I mean, once when he was at that peak where it was like, oh, they're going to the tournament. Like he probably would have gotten some mention at that point. I don't think anyone's given that to Archie Miller now. The jury feels out on him. Same with Holtman, who you know Ohio State took a bigger step back this year than I thought they would for completely understandable reasons. Um, and you know I. Think I think you could probably get some Rutgers fans who would say Peichel is the best. Yeah, that's, that's why I said like even from their own fan base, right? Because obviously there's there's some Illinois fans that think Underwood is the best coach in the country, possibly of all time, um, um, which is perplexing. And of course, you know, Peichel's got uh, some of the same stuff going for him, but the difference is Rutgers has been a historically trash ass basketball program that hasn't yeah. been to the tournament since 1991, and he just won seven games in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, and they and the smoking crater of talent that Eddie Jordan left him to was just like uh, unfathomable like they they were <laughs> Rutgers basketball was the Rutgers football of the Big Ten basketball scene and in the, in the course of two years boy again you you know we mentioned thinking about what you know we're, we're skipping ahead to Rutgers you so know since, we're, ta- since we're talking about Rutgers we'll go out of order and go ahead <laughs> I'll never forget like late in the game Louisville quadrupling up Rutgers in their final Big East tournament yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like women's basketball first round score uh, if you're a Rutgers fan, so I guess we'll I'll lay down the numbers first. So we, we if project- you're a Rutgers fan, welcome to basketball. Yeah, by it's the way. it's this I mean, fun, honest to God, what can you say? It's supposed to be this fun all the time. We're glad that you've joined us. Because uh, because <laughs> what you know the idea that Rutgers might be set up to compete in the middle of the conference. You know, two years ago you would have laughed your ass off at that yeah. prospect. Like how about even five years ago in the Big East? Yeah, they, they well, were terrible yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we. 
we did not have a whole lot of confidence in Rutgers preseason. Picked them to finish 10-21 and 21 overall, 3-17 and 17 in the conference, which would have been good for dead last. On account of the Rutgers. Yeah. Their track record speaks for itself. Well, and so here's the thing, though. They actually didn't beat that mark by all that much. They 14-16 and 16 overall. Now, all four of those extra wins did come in conference, though. 7-13 and 13 overall. Uh, and yeah, there were plenty of games that could have gone their way if they'd just been... I mean, it really feels like next year, they're not going to win the conference. Let's not get carried away, but they're going to be in that top five or six range. They're going to be in the NIT, which is... Yeah. Oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they're an NIT team next year. I mean, and it, you know, to think of Rutgers as maybe somewhere near the bubble is just... I mean, it's literally been two decades... Uh, no, nearly three decades. Yeah. I was two years old. Yeah, I was three. And so it's, you know. No, actually, wait. If that's the 1991 NCAA tournament, I was not even two years old. Same. Yeah, I guess I was coming up on three. So, yeah, there's, there's not much you can say about Rutgers other than to have... Kind of, it, it's all about exactly how much optimism you want to have for the future is your optimism bridled or unbridled because i mean again we we mentioned this with michigan when you get to the end of a season it's okay to kind of look back and enjoy what is and what's been but you can't help but look ahead and with rutgers they've got a couple guys on their way out but they're i mean talk about their best players and you've got geo baker montez mathis ron harper jr and probably caleb mcconnell one sophomore and three freshmen none of whom i don't think are going to be going pro this year i mean ron harper jr's dad had to have made millions of dollars he doesn't need the money so um yeah you tell i mean that's the best core of talent that they've had there in a long 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 time i would guess probably since eddie jordan was a player um it's hard to be anything but optimistic about where they're going they still play that excellent brand of defense their offense is still pretty hard to watch a lot of the time but they're getting much closer and if you project even normal freshman to sophomore improvement for those three freshmen um mathis harper and uh, mcconnell they're going to be pretty good next year it, we're, we're at a point now if you if you haven't been paying that close attention we're at a point where it's actually not embarrassing to lose to Rutgers anymore uh, doesn't mean you should be happy if it happens because like I said I, they're probably there's definitely going to be a top half of the team conference team next year I'm not saying they're going to win now the year after that if everybody stays who knows but I think it's hard if you're a Rutgers fan to be anything but thrilled beyond belief and also kind of relieved that you didn't achieve more than this because if he if you're NIT eligible if you're on TV these extra games oh everybody's looking at Steve Michael now. Let's yep. see what may, what high major, what elite programs are in search of a coach. Oh look, UCLA needs a coach. Maybe they decide I to mean, come sit well, around. You the know? whole Pac-12 needs a coach at this point. Right, and it, you know, he's been an East Coast guy pretty much his whole career. Yeah, well, I mean, he came, I don't know if that, from Stony Brook. I don't know if that matters as much in basketball as it seems to, where football tends to be you like to stay tethered regionally, but he's going to get attention from other coaches at some point, and that's where the question of administrative buy-in is going to come up, because you know, the guy is as bland as you want a coach to be. He's always very complimentary of everywhere he is. Who knows if he really wants to stay there, plans to stay there, um, or if you know build something there of his own, or if he's looking for kind of the next big thing and thinks that there's one more level he can go up still. There definitely is. There, are, As much as he's improved things there, there are many better jobs than Rutgers in college basketball, I'm sorry to say. So you look at Rutgers' season, um, their best win almost certainly was, uh, was at Iowa. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the thing is, what's cool about the 20-game schedule is that I feel like because of it, there's been more opportunity, you know, because of those extra two games, there's more opportunities for 
middling to poor teams to get basically kind of a signature win in conference. You saw like Illinois yeah, had no the win shit. against Michigan State. <laughs> um, Penn State beat Michigan. You know, you had yeah, essentially for 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 all the teams that were around this range, you had a win that you can point to and say, look how high the ceiling is. For Rutgers, it, they beat Iowa. Yeah, so it on the road. I mean, they're they're uh, not there yet, but they're, it also feels as though their floor has risen substantially. Yeah, they. I mean, they they split with Northwestern. Um, let's see what? Yeah, they split with Minnesota. Um, split with Indiana. So you know, they're playing. You think, you think about the relative up and down arrows of those yeah. programs. Play those games again next year. Who do you think is going to win more of those games? I mean, who? Like, yeah. You know what's amazing is that Rutgers has only beaten Illinois once since they joined the Big Ten. I can't believe it. I really thought that the series was a lot closer. Uh, we've Rutgers. had more overtime games than Rutgers wins. Rutgers actually has still not beaten Michigan State in either football or men's basketball. Michigan State's the last team that they haven't tagged in either sport. Um, which is as good a segue as any to kind of get back in order and go to Michigan State. So our preseason expectations were for the Spartans to go 26-5 and with a 17-3 and conference record, which I did not actually participate in donating my beliefs to the preseason rankings. If I had, I would have been substantially worse than that. I did not expect MSU to be as good this year as they ended up being. <laughs> Give an intermission now for some combat. Tell you what, R2 thinks them's fighting words. If you say Michigan State wasn't that going to be that good. He is a good old floofy white boy, so... <laughs> so they, they finished 25-6 and six overall, which is actually a game worse um, in both the overall and conference rankings. They did, had a 16-4 and four conference record, but that ended up being good enough to tie them for first place. Again, coming into this year, I didn't think they were going to be that good. I, I I didn't, first of all, did not expect Cassius Winston to make the unbelievable leap that he did from sophomore, where his job was just kind of to hand the ball off to other guys, to junior, where, you know, with Langford being out and, you know, Jackson and Bridges both being gone, I guess there was really no better option for Tom Mizzle than to say, team's yours, let's see what you can do with it. And that kind of came to an even, into even sharper relief the last couple weeks of the season after Nick Ward also broke his hand and was out um yeah it it's hard to see these kinds of seasons coming i think from like carson edwards for example most people kind of expected it because he's always been a volume scorer and with the losses purdue had he was going to be much more important but no i'd not see the season that winston just had coming and uh, you know you also saw pretty big jumps from kenny goins and from matt mcquade it's strange with a coach of Izzo's caliber how he often seems to do his best work when he doesn't have blue chip all mcdonald's all-american talent i mean like <laughs> jaron jackson is the guy the memphis grizzlies are going to build around they traded away mark gasol to build around him uh, you know miles bridges is a decent player for the hornets he was also a lottery pick he had both of those guys on the team last year and lost in the second round of syracuse because he had the brain fart of putting ben carter on the court in the middle of the zone instead of either of those two guys i just talked about then but, this year then this year comes around and he goes up against the michigan team which on paper i thought was better Going into both games, I thought Michigan State was going to lose. And he comes up with this game plan on both offense and defense that just blows Beeline out of the water, which, again, like, it's not, there hasn't been many times in recent memory where John Beeline has been so thoroughly outcoached. And they released the, you know, blank of the year awards today, and Winston did win player of the year, but they gave coach of the year to Matt Painter, which I disagree with, and maybe there's a homer angle to this. But okay, here are the, here are the cases for both of them, right? 
Painter did lose four seniors from last year. He still had Carson Edwards, who I'm pretty sure was the preseason player of the year. And he also had a schedule easier than either of the other teams that finished at top three. They only played Michigan once. And granted, they lost that game. They only played him once. Um, Izzo, by contrast, lost, in addition to two other seniors who were minor contributors, lost Jackson, lost Bridges. At the end of the non-conference, loses Josh Langford for the season. And then in the home stretch of the conference schedule, lost Nick Ward. That's four of last year's five starters who accounted, I mean, Ward and Langford together, I think accounted for like 35, 36 points a game this year. And it's not like there's any ready-made replacement on the roster. So no, I, I would have given it to Izzo, but I understand and we discussed this on the Slack earlier. I understand that to an extent he suffers from Ohio State football coach seeking coach of the year award. Yep. Since which is well expectations are always going to be high for you and because the coach of the year thing is about expectations but then the other side of that coin is i don't recall the projections for purdue to fall off the face of the earth <laughs> i think I, I was pretty sure you know and matt painter kind of said this himself he's like i really like when good people say i can't do something like buddy <laughs> like who was project i don't remember seeing a single oh yeah just like this like projection how nobody of believed in the patriots yeah, kind of. I mean, not to that extent, but still, it's same, like wait. same incentive though. It's like nobody really yeah, who doubted actually you, said bro. That? Who actually was saying? I mean, I don't know. To an extent, this didn't look quite like the typical Tom Izzo great season, only because they didn't lose enough in the non-conference. No, well, <laughs> they lost. I mean, I mean, they started off promising with a five-point loss to Kansas, where it was like, well, you know, credit to Izzo for you know such a tough schedule right at the beginning of the year. So you you got that out of the way, and then then you beat some cupcakes, and then had the loss to Louisville. Which was probably that, that was that was the pretty game. Izzo loss right there. Yeah, if it had been a little, if it had been earlier, that would have been a perfect Izzo. Now, loss. granted, it, you know the Kansas thing. I forget what tournament that was in. It was Vegas, but in any case, that was a neutral site. The Louisville game was on the road, but still, both of those losses were just emblematic of Izzo's headaches in these big games with turnovers. Holy um, shit! I forgot that they won a game 101 to 33. They played some real cupcakes this year. Um, I remember the game you're talking about too, and yeah, no, they're the remainder of their body bag games were much more body baggy than they usually are. Like, usually they play some team that ends up rising up and contending for Tennessee their conference. Tech Golden. That's the one. Um, fly, Eagles, fly. So On the road. Yeah, so, it, you know, at this point, look, MSU fans are always saying that their whole season is about the tournament, right? I guess that's still true, but given the way this year went with the injuries they had, um, with the team they had, with the story that Winston turned out to be, winning the regular season feels really good, and I would it would really piss me off if they flame out early in the tournament again but if they do it it won't be as bad as two of the last three I'll promise you that <laughs> um you know the Big Ten tournament I could kind of take it or leave it regardless of what I mean with the injuries they have because you know I think Kyle Arnes has also kind of been injured not that he's a major contributor but you just kind of run out of bodies at a certain point um yeah it's hard to sk <laughs> again I guess at the point at the time being if I'm going to be a true to dogma Michigan State fan I have to say well I don't know how the season went yet the tournament hasn't happened but no nah, there's there's more to it than a single elimination tournament at neutral sites. This was a good season. There's no way to say it wasn't. So, on to Minnesota. And uh, they're they're right there on... What, what, would you say they're on the bubble? Or would you say they're... Uh, I don't think Minnesota's going. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Well, I have been 12 overall. 9-11, good for 7 the Big Ten. Which is a couple else? games better than we expected. We projected them at 17-14 and 14 overall and 8-12 and in the conference. But Their schedule looks a little bit worse in retrospect 
retrospect. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've got a win against Washington, which, you know, congratulations on winning the Pac-12. Beating I the Pac-12 champion, like, yeah. I mean, Jeez. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, I, I really do hope that Washington wins the Pac-12 tournament and they become the first power conference to only send one team. Like, what a joke that conference is, man. How do, They have the whole western half of the country to themselves, and they're just, like, athletically overall, outside of a few non-revs, they're just a tire fire, man. Like, California is probably the third biggest talent-producing state in the country for basketball and football, if I had to guess. Like, you know, UCLA basketball, USC football, all the Nike money at Oregon, Washington's they just, like, get anything done. Anyway. Larry Scott. Everybody wants to point the finger right at Larry Scott. Dude, it, like, I don't know where else you point. I mean, it... What else can you say? These, I mean, they these aren't, like, incompetent universities. Either. There are some dysfunctional athletic departments, sure. Like, Cal's athletic department is notoriously a joke, but, you know, Stanford's got their academic restrictions. In any case, we're blessed to become a Pac-12 podcast. Um, yeah, Minnesota. Uh, well, let's, I, they beat Oklahoma State. Turned out to not be anything special. Yeah. I mean, their first ranked win was against Nebraska. That didn't age well. Nope. <laughs> they're easily their best win. I mean, their their highlight emotionally was definitely beating Wisconsin. Uh, but they also did beat... Well, they beat Purdue. Purdue. Too. Yeah, right was, near the end of the season. Yeah, so I don't think... I'm not sure to what extent the new tournament formula is taking into account recency, like how you're playing now. Um, so you mean how different are they from football? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, to be honest, I just don't... I'm not sure about that. It, it feels to me like they, too, have some work to do in the Big Ten tournament if they expect to go dancing. And then the other thing is... it. I don't know if you're a Minnesota fan how you feel about Patino by this point either. Like, our expectations may or may not be in line with what they were generally, but... Boop. Yeah, exactly. So Nebraska, um, this is probably the first team we can definitively say, yeah, Tim Miles is going to get fired. Um, so first of all, a bit of a tough road to hoe. First of all, and you know, we we did not expect much from Nebraska. 18 and 13 overall, 10 and 10 in the conference were our projections. They finished 16 and 15 overall, but 6 and 14 in the league because once Isaac Copeland got hurt, this team fell apart. And with the, with the exception of the thrilling comeback against Iowa that we mentioned, which again, that's a, that's a couple of seniors on senior day playing you know, playing their last gasp and they may be losing Isaiah Roby to the NBA draft too because I've seen his name projected in the first round a number of times if he's gone in addition to Watson and Palmer and obviously Copeland is done too I don't know what they're gonna look like next year man but it ain't gonna be pretty they they will probably be fighting for the bottom of the barrel um well they finished 13th this year yeah and depending on where the Roby goes either three or four of their best players are gonna be gone so you know you expect some of their they they had some other guys who showed some flashes don't get me wrong but i don't know how they score points next year um and the expectations in nebraska have risen substantially by the way for brad for basketball they've made big investments in facilities they sell that building out every night um no the expectations at nebraska i think are higher than they used to be this isn't doc sadler where finishing within a couple games of 500 is good enough anymore um the talent level i think it's fair to say they're probably better than they were when miles started there but not sustainably so you know they'll they'll have Taran Petaway and a bunch of guys. Then oh, they find um, they find Shavon Shields, and he's pretty good for a couple years. But there's just a bunch of guys around him. This year was better, but again with better talent, they should have been better. Been a big part of this team for the last few years. Yeah, and he's talk he's, about a glue guy, you know. He's gone, but uh, yeah, he's so. I mean, another thing just to reflect on where Nebraska is. I look on the ESPN page for Nebraska Cornhuskers. You know, I'm just looking at their season, and yeah, uh, the first image that I see is 
of football. Nebraska spring football preview. Huskers building all <laughs> solid position. Okay, so... Well, the thing is, again, and this is a theme that we didn't touch on at the beginning, but that maybe we should have. The conference as a whole wrecked shop in the non-conference. I mean, we came into this... Big Ten probably had six or seven teams ranked at one point. They still have a few up there now. <clears throat> there's been a little bit of beating each other up. Don't 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 blame Illinois for that for that non-conference thing. We we did. <laughs> you certainly did. We your part. dragged the average <laughs> down because we sandbagged it a bit by going yeah. four and nine. <laughs> But no, the Big Ten was looking was looking robust coming out of the non-conference schedule. Um, Nebraska was ranked in the teens at one point as well. And again, it's I understand that losing a guy mid-season, especially a senior, especially a primary scorer, is a difficult thing to overcome. But it happens to lots of teams every year. I, again, you know, look at what Michigan State overcame, and yeah, it's fair to say they have more to fall back on than Nebraska did. But you still had Glenn Watson, you still had James Palmer, you still had Isaiah Roby. Those are three capable starters in this league and the other thing that I was thinking about as I was considering in my head well like what coaches might be on the hot seat is for whatever reason I feel like in the timeline of where coaches are in their tenures I'm stuck in like 2015 because I'm like oh well Miles has only been there for like two years guy give him some more time and I'm like no wait it's 2019 he's actually been there the better part of a decade now like if things aren't going to get the same thing for same thing for Chambers same thing for Chambers I always feel like it's only year three for Chambers it's been year it's (laughs) wait he has been. I looked this up, and he has been there for a lot longer than I thought. I think it's like his ninth year, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, let's jump to Penn State while we're talking about him, since I don't really want to talk about them very much. So we didn't think much of Penn State, and they they proved us right. 16 and 15 overall, 7 and 13 in the conference for our projections. They hit that 7 and 13 line in the conference, and they lost a couple more games in the non-con to go 14 and 17. Uh, about the most salient thing for Penn State season, obviously, they did get the good win against Michigan. That's going to happen. You play as many good teams as you do in the Big Ten, you can't help but stumble into beating a good one. And uh, there was also a very hilarious guy following our Twitter handle who every time Penn State won a game would revisit his claim that Lamar Stevens is one of the best players in the conference. Lamar Stevens scores a lot of points. He's definitely Penn State's best player. I don't think I could find a spot for him on the second team all conference. Um, again, fine player, but it's somebody's got to score, you know? <laughs> That's kind of the yeah. problem with Penn State is they don't consistently have anybody else who can score. Now, Josh Reeves balled the hell out on senior day, and <laughs> sorry to yeah. bring that you up. You know what? But Penn State under Pat Chambers has always been an absolute goon squad. I just can't stand the way that they play. They take cheap shots. I mean, I remember there was the one time that uh, earlier in the year where uh, Harar just absolutely blasted uh, Andres Feliz in the face with an elbow yeah, and somehow um, picked up the offensive foul. <laughs> John Hare is a walking flagrant one, but... Uh, yeah, I also remember the time that DJ Newbill uh, hip-tossed Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> DJ Newbill, man. Talk about the Wayback Machine. Yeah, DJ Newbill was in the Pat Chambers era, man. Think yep. about that. Like, it's, it, it, he's been there longer. And I Penn thought... State's just so ugly to watch. Yeah. Well, in a few years ago, I kind of thought they were going to turn the corner because they had that... They had what I thought was going to... And I don't think I was the only one who thought this. They had what looked like the breakthrough recruiting class that was going to get them into Philadelphia once and for all because they had Tony Carr and Stevens and Watkins all Philadelphia area guys I think I don't remember if those are the guys but there was a bunch of them that all went to the same powerhouse school um, there was a point where they had like four guys on their team who all went to the same high school and they were like some of their better players but then you look at the guys who have come
come in behind him and it's not as good. Um, or if they are on paper, it hasn't shown up on the court yet. And this is the, this is the time where, honestly, like players have to go and make their own choices. And I would never second guess a guy who's going to make money instead of playing free. But Tony Carr going to the NBA was a mistake. It was bad for everybody involved. I don't think he's on a roster right now. And Penn State really needed him this year. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much pressure there is on Penn State basketball to win. Um, their football program is doing fine. They have dynamite wrestling and hockey. There's plenty of, and you know, attendance at Bryce hey, Jordan They won reflects. the Big Ten wrestling for the first time since 2016. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is kind of weird. Because they're Alabama football. You see, <clears throat> they win national titles more often than they win conference titles. <laughs> I'm serious about that. They didn't, they yeah. won the last three national titles, but this is their first conference title since that's, 2016. That's B1G wrestling though, man. <laughs> uh, it's easier to win in the national title than, oh, you know. 165, Vincenzo Joseph, two-time national champion and zero-time Big Ten champion. He's probably going to go beat Alex Marinelli in the finals to, I can't wait till he has four national titles and no Big Ten titles. <laughs> Yeah, this is a wrestling podcast now. Um, which, oh, man, by the way, so I talk about salt in the wound to, to go back to Iowa for a second. So uh, that game with Nebraska went to overtime, right? When they blow the 16-point halftime lead. Well, BTN's coverage of the Iowa-Nebraska basketball game therefore continued longer than it would have otherwise. And the next item in programming, Big Ten Wrestling Championships. Yeah, championships. Oh and my God, was that the Spencer Lee match? The first oh match, my God! The first, the first match that was <laughs> going to be televised was Spencer Lee versus Sebastian Rivera in the 125 finals. <laughs> oh, no. And he was up decisively initially, and then while overtime was happening, he was no longer up decisively and ended up losing that. In overtime, too. It was in sudden victory. Yeah. So, not a great day to be a Hawkeye. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't realize that that was the match. Mama said there will be wow. days like this if you're a Hawkeye fan. You know, and the good news is it's over, and now, and now it's Monday. So that's that's the kind of weekend it was. So anyway, lest we get too Just far into the weeds. Just think about Alex Marinelli. Just think about Alex Marinelli. Right. Lest, unless we get too far into the weeds. My point being there that I don't know what the expectations are at Penn State either. The same way I don't know what they are at Iowa. I think they can be pretty low because, look, the Bryce Jordan Center is empty for reasons other than Penn State basketball being terrible. They have other winter sports that are knocking it out of the park. I mean, lest we forget volleyball. Yeah, that too. Although that, they play play earlier don't they yeah they, they do play so, earlier but that is st- that so Penn that's State's part like, of basketball that's part of basketball season then you have wrestling which has as i was doing the research for my wrestling write-up they've got like a like a student fan section yeah like yeah and like, like it's it's one, like, of, one of the better hockey programs with a very well endowed opponent in terry pegula so <laughs> on the one hand <laughs> god damn it fun. so <laughs> So on the one hand, it's not like Penn State's athletic department is short of things to pass the hat for. I mean, they're coming up with contributions without much of a problem. On the other hand, with all these successful winning programs, what exactly is basketball's excuse, you know? Is is it really that much easier to get hockey talent to Happy Valley than it is to get basketball talent to come from Philadelphia or the East Coast? Like, I'm never going to get over this, by the way. Ed DeCellis left Penn State for Navy. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He just walked out the door. Although, to be honest, it was probably at the point where he's like, if I don't leave, they're just going to fire me anyway. But if you're in that point and you think you can get another job, why don't you just let them fire you and get your buyout, man? Uh, And he's still at Navy, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. Huh. 
boy. So Penn State, they remain where they've been for most of their basketball program's existence because it. they mentioned during the Senior Day broadcast that Josh Reeves, if he had kept scoring, I think he did, would have passed Shep Garner for fifth place on the Penn State all-time scoring list. I was like, really? Those two guys are, five, are <laughs> yeah, two of your top six? That's a pretty good remember that guy. I guess, but not even, like, because obviously, like... No, remember that guy. Remember that about... guy Remember that guy is Taylor Battle and Tim Frazier. Who are two... Well, the whole spirit of remember that guy as a thing is just like, oh, yeah, that was a guy. Right. So, yeah, Steph Garner is a perfect remember that guy. Not a guy you would think would be in a school's top five scorers. Um, so, yeah, Penn State, the Penn State segment is a good time for a game of tug-of-war. Hilarious girl. And since we're here in the in the bottom of the conference, um, we'll go ahead and bring up Northwestern. So this also was not a team that any of us had much in the way of expectations for. We projected them 12th in the conference with a 14 and 17 overall record and a 6 and 14 conference record. Um, they, they went 13 and 18 overall and managed only 13 and 18 in the conference. Or, I'm no, sorry, four and four and sixteen in the conference. I'm screwing up all my numbers here, which was good for dead last. So, what do you do if you're a Northwestern basketball fan at this point? Because you have tasted the sweet, sweet nectar of the tournament, and it also looks like you're not going to get there again anytime soon. Um, if you're, you're a Northwestern basketball fan, then your name is Emin because he's kind of the only one that's going to stick around. Yeah. If um, uh, if this thing really goes tits up like it's, I mean, it's been a fairly spectacular fall in a couple of years. Right, um, and it, there are circumstances, right? So the guy who was, I believe, going to be their projected starting point guard, I don't recall, I should have looked it up, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was not able to get into school at like the last second. And I don't know if this was like your typical like Big Ten admissions office thing or if there was something else to it. I didn't go into the story, but their projected starting point guard vanished like a fart in the wind, like right before. Before the season started so that's a little bit of a problem and their offense reflected that now the other thing it's fair Jordan to say Lathan. yes that's the guy where'd he end up where did he end up let's see northwest not not just didn't get in northwestern revokes jordan lathan's admission that's right. the headline they told him he was getting in and then they're like hey actually no never mind that's just a utl paso yeah so that's just a rotten thing to do to somebody by the way um no matter who you're and and i'm not singling them out for it because my school does it too oh it's not a good look it's it's, it's, it's a rotten thing to do to somebody whether or not you know, if you're not sure, just say you're not sure. Don't yeah. tell them, yeah, you're fine, and then later you're not it's, fine, and I mean, you end up at fucking UTEP. Like it's the kid's whole future, you're jerking him around like that, man. I. <laughs> that's much the difference between a Northwestern ed- education and a UTEP education. Like I'm sure they have a very fine mining school. In any oh, case, oh yeah, what it was a El Paso school of mine. Was it? <laughs> so if you're trying to figure out what exactly went wrong with Northwestern this year, I know everyone's. It's hard to criticize individual players, but it's fair to say that neither Vic Law nor Derek Pardon, Derek, Derek. Pardon, I, I always just say it, Derek. I, I, I think I feel like commentators say it that way too. Yeah, it's like, probably like not the, Derek. Like the mid word R is supposed to be silent, but but you know, it's kind of like you guys know who we mean. Well, it's like like <laughs> Cat Williams said about the word knife with that silent K. Man, if your name is spelled B K O B with the K is silent, it's Bob. No, your name is Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's fair to say that neither Law nor Pardon had the senior years that they were probably expecting. Now, they had decent individual games here and there, 
And there were definitely long stretches where Pardon was Northwestern's only viable offense. Because other than that, man, it was just, they, they chucked up a ton of threes and they just made so few of them. Uh, they, were, they were a three-point reliant team that could not shoot three-pointers. And then sometimes Derek Pardon would be fine, sometimes he wouldn't. But because his backup, Barrett Benson, was so prone to foul trouble, I mean, I feel like every, it seemed like I saw a lot of Northwestern basketball, not of my own volition, but because whenever I had time to watch, they were the team that was on. <laughs> I just want to see how this goes. <laughs> and so I feel like I, I inadvertently watched a lot of Northwestern. And it seemed like Barrett Benson always had three fouls within like the first five minutes of the game. And because of that, Pardon had to play a ton of minutes and he visibly wore down. And this might be the biggest conundrum in the Big Ten because I don't think Northwestern's recruiting... I, I checked on these a week or two ago... I don't remember seeing anyone that's an obvious impact player. And, like, what do they do next year? Like, who is your number one scoring option at Northwestern next year? Warren Dog Rose here. No right. Yeah, with Northwestern, it's just a, you know, the whole thing where we're putting all this money. They're like Nebraska, right? They've invested a lot into their program lately. Yeah, they've got the facilities across the athletic department, yeah. Oh, and not to mention the, the renovation at uh, right, Welsh Ryan. Welsh Ryan yeah. that had them playing at Rosemont last year. Yeah, that's the other thing is they theoretically had their home court advantage back this season. Well, you know, to an extent that there ever was one. But um, but it's, what, what, what do you do? This is the coach that broke the curse. I don't think you could fire him. If you fire him, clearly Northwestern is never going back. You have to give him more time uh, and hope that maybe, I don't know, his dad gets him an NBA assistant job or something and you just part in peace. And then you go call up Bill Carmody to see what he's doing. Send him that 1 a.m. text, y W-Y-D. Uh, uh, he, you know he answers. He's up watching film and, and drinking warm milk, probably. He'll answer. There's a there's a timeline when we've got uh, another Bruce Weber versus Bill Carmody game for Illinois Northwestern. But reversed. <laughs> Oh, man. Bill Carmody in an orange blazer. God, I'm in Wildcat with himself. We can't let that happen. Anyway. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that this entire segment has basically been, whether or not you meant it to be, an elaborate troll job of him. I didn't even mean it. I just, like I said. But I can only imagine he Northwestern would take issue with your contention that Chris Collins could never be fired. Northwestern basketball at this point is a is a troll job of MNW, honestly. Like like I said, that all I, was really, all I really did in this segment was say what I saw. But and that, you know, there was that hype that, okay, now they're going to be for real in recruiting. Nope. And yeah, it's just, it's, you know, now they're going to, now they've got the decided schematic advantage. Mm. That's all evaporated. No, it was pretty much just they found Bryant McIntosh and that was the guy they needed and they don't have another one. So, it's not to say they'll never find one. Oh, uh, the other key departure that they're going to have is, isn't that a uh, screeching girl graduating? I don't know. I thought they, I thought they muzzled her or something. They, they, did, they made they her was, stop, didn't she? I don't know. They, they did something like that, but it's still, it's still that that presence, you know. She <laughs> that, know that she could that emotional force. If that she, she could, physically could. She could. She could suit up if she needed to. Yeah. <laughs> it's that leadership presence, that veteran presence of somebody that can really screech um, at the top of uh, not at the top of lungs. I mean, several octaves so, above normal human register. So Ohio State, um, much to our underperformed. Underperformed a bit relative to our expectations. We had them pegged at twenty and eleven overall, twelve and eight in the conference. They managed eighteen and thirteen, eight and twelve in the conference. So 
this was in in hindsight this was always gonna be a little bit of a true year zero for Holtman losing Kate Bates job and now you've got the fact that Thad Mata's last couple of this is the year by the way where that recruiting class that entirely disappeared into thin air would have been seniors if I remember if I've yep. got it correctly and so because of that what they had instead as seniors were two transfer guards now CJ Jackson's been there a while he transferred as an underclassman and then Keyshawn Woods grad transferred I think it's fair to say that that was not the combination they needed from their seniors. Now, of course, this also comes to the Astros because kind of like Nebraska's seniors, they showed out on their senior day and nearly overcame, I think, a 23-point deficit was the maximum against Wisconsin. <coughs> but they just didn't they didn't have any upperclassmen this year. They had Jackson Woods as seniors. Andre Wesson, I think, is their only junior. And then they've got all underclassmen. And Caleb Wesson got himself suspended for the violation of team rules, a.k.a. smoking the reefer. Cheapa, cheapa. And unclear if he's going to be back for the Big Ten tournament at this point. I don't remember seeing anything on that, but they are very much on the bubble as well. Um, they started, you know, again, they've got pretty good stuff going for them net-wise, but it feels like they're going to need a couple more data points. And that first Big Ten tournament game, they've got Indiana, who are in the same boat. So it's going to be interesting. Where it, it, were they ranked when they played MSU? They were 14th. Yeah, and then MSU killed them. And then after didn't that, beat, they Didn't lost beat them to, that badly, but, but ruined their season. Yeah, so they lost to Rutgers, Iowa. Uh, Maryland and Purdue after that before beating Nebraska and then they had a little bit of a rebound there but um, lost to Illinois and lost to Northwestern I mean they've lost their last three yeah and one of them was against Wisconsin one of them was at Purdue but the other was at Northwestern right by 18 points that was the game where they only scored 50 on Northwestern right yeah that was there have been some bad games I've seen this year many of them involving Northwestern but actually the two worst so far have involved Ohio State now not Notwithstanding the thrilling finish to yesterday's game, the beginning of that Wisconsin-Ohio State game was eye-beach quality basketball, and their game against Northwestern likewise. Approaching the second media timeout did not have 10 points combined between the teams, so they played some hideous... On the one hand, you have to give Chris Holtman some credit for getting his guys to continue to play hard defense when they like they have one guy over 6-6, six, six, I think. tied at <clears throat> 10 with 8 minutes to go! Yeah, in the first, in the first half. half. Right, yeah, it was really bad. It was really bad. Oh my god! And it opened up so much in the second half and turned into, there was this, again, big throwing comeback. That's all anyone's going to remember about that game is that Wisconsin almost from, from blew. From 56-36. Yeah, that Wisconsin almost blew a 20-point second half lead to an Ohio State team with like seven players again and like none of them above six but six, I don't think. That's all anyone's going to remember. What they're going to forget is that the first half, if the, like, I don't know how, first of all, I don't know how there were any people left in that arena at the end of the game to see the comeback because how do you stay for 10-10 after 12 minutes of play? How do you stay to then watch your team fall behind by 20? No, mad props to anybody who stayed for the end of that game on either side. Um, there's a lot of bubble teams in the Big Ten, aren't there? There's a few. No, there's there's a few that you probably look like it. definitely say that Ohio State's a bold. Yeah, and you know, in hindsight, we said Minnesota is too. I've never actually seen them mentioned in any of the bubble conversations, though. Maybe they're more safely in than I thought. But um, my, my point is, Ohio State probably you know, when you is, look at the Indiana record, you see bubble is. teams. Yeah, where you, you see 500-ish team, though. And again, that's our conception of the bubble has probably got to update a bit, because that's not what a bubble team is anymore. A bubble team, yeah, if you're sub-500, you're probably not making it, but if you're only a win or two above, whether you're on the bubble or not, it has nothing to do with that record. It has to do with what that record made up, which, frankly, I like. Um, I don't think you should be able to pad your non-conference and, and still make it comfortably. So, But this kind of due to the situation 
situation Holtman inherited was going to be a bit of a mess yeah, this and that's, year. And so he's done reasonably well with it. Right. And I don't think, relative to some other newer coaches like, like Archie Miller, I think Holtman is vastly safer. He purchased himself a lot of capital last year. I think yeah. that's the case. And the other thing with him <clears throat> is that he's got a three-man class coming in next year where I'm pretty sure they're all top 40 or top 60 players. Yep. Like, his freshman class is going to be damn good. He's still going to have, he's got a pretty promising freshman class this year. I think Caleb Wesson, he probably gets one more year out of. I don't think he's an NBA player right now. Um, although he's probably not as far away as most Buckeye fans would think. I, I saw a lot of those downstate. Those downstate Illinois recruits love to go to Ohio State. Mm. So um, Is that where they're from? I thought they were both. Well, no, no. EJ Little. Oh, oh was, yeah. Was Liddell, the guy. Liddell, but I mean, and, uh, remember, Keita Bates, yeah, from Bloomington. Yeah. You know, which is so close that, you know, that's where Illinois State is, which they just all bust to Champaign to party on the weekend. So anyway, um, but Ohio State, it's interesting. We, we tend to evaluate coaches against the guys that they came in with. So the class of 2017 for Big Ten basketball, that's uh, Holtman, Archie Miller. Is that, is that Pikeel or? I, th- uh, I thought he was one year is before his... that. Yeah, this is year three for him. I think so. So yeah, this is yes, this this is year three for him. Because, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Okay, so then so it's really Miller, uh, Holtman, and Brad Underwood. Uh oh. <laughs> so no, I mean no no question. Underwood's done by far the worst of those uh, from a record perspective. Um, it remains to be seen what's gonna happen. I think the jury's a lot more out on Archie Miller than either of the other two. At this point, it would be a surprise if Underwood is able to is able to write this thing. Uh, to me at least, I don't know about you, but uh... well, one thing's for sure. Okay, either either we're gonna get a new coach or there's going to be just an absolutely explosive growth of the win-loss record next year. I mean, either way, I win. True, true, true. So, But of those three, I, I do still have the most faith in Holtman. Even I agree. This, I think is, Holtman this is definitely was... an underwhelming year, but I, I do think even Ohio State fans who... He showed some recruiting chops, though, too. I mean, that's, yeah. that's certainly not nothing. Not that Archie Miller hasn't, though. I mean, he's now swiped Trace Jackson Davis, who I really would have liked to see in green and white, and it looks like he's probably going to get Keon Brooks, too, since MSU just accepted a commitment from um, a three-star out of Texas, so they're out of space. But anyway, um, Purdue. So again, notwithstanding, yeah, notwithstanding Matt Painter's comments, um, we certainly had some confidence in Purdue. We picked him to tie for second. We thought they'd be twenty-four and seven overall. We thought they'd go fifteen and five in the conference. They actually did a game worse in the overall record, but two games better. I um, know oh one game better in the conference, and they tie for the championship. So. Again, hard to when you win the championship. I think it, even if you share it, it's hard to say that you're disappointed in any capacity. Jeez, um, <laughs> he'll tear your shoulder out if you let him, dude. Uh, <laughs> I just decided to ragdoll my arm and see what he did, and man, <laughs> sure does go. God, at least you're gonna sleep. All right, tonight. so now, so now you're doing some dog curls. That's another. Uh, Lift another great basketball strength training exercise. We dog lift, curls. We lift every day on this podcast, so. Uh, <laughs> As far as Purdue goes, yeah, it, it's an impressive coaching job, and as much as I said earlier that I, I really thought Izzo probably deserved it more than Painter, I can't object that much, because he did lose a tremendous amount from last year. Outside of Carson Edwards, who did you really think on this team would, you know, I don't think anyone saw Travion Williams being ready to play, I don't think anyone saw Matt Harms turning from a walking foul on, on stilts into a functional player. Um, Grady Eifert's a great story. 
And even Ryan Klein turned from a guy that fan base really kind of disliked into, you know, indispensable gunner. So, I mean, it's it was a good coaching job by Painter. And you say Carson Edwards, right, as a known commodity, but that's a guy that wasn't really a tremendously recruited guy. No, he was definitely developed into a much better player than anyone thought he would be. So if you want to give Painter some credit for that, so I yeah, think that's, Painter that's doesn't totally necessarily get the that's credit totally for fair. that this year, but Painter gets the credit retroactively then for, for yeah. what Carson Edwards has become by the beginning of this year. I think I heard it said somewhere in this conversation that he does—he actually does not have currently a top sixty player from their recruiting class on his roster. So there's a lot of uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of experience there, and also there's yeah. a lot of size. Yes, and, that's and your, that's the thing is, however good Purdue is, they will certainly be big. That's kind of yeah, been so the theme of last You always <laughs> think of the succession of seven foot something white guys with obnoxious hair, right? But but below those guys, even their guys are like uh, Trey Van Williams is just a dude just thick that boy. dude just slab a steak. Yeah, it's a big dude. Boudreaux before he got hurt was a big guy. Even even Eifert is not small. Yeah, like guys right? for their height, you know, are just solid dudes. You know, because they dudes they being dudes. dudes. Well, because they Purdue, value Purdue, the Boston Purdue's. College. So. Yeah, they're Purdue's. Okay, <laughs> so you got these Purdue's being Purdue's, and what they value is um, control in the post, which they do very well. And That's they're always them, so. they're always very tough to beat for rebounds. And if you out rebound them, then you then you you know it's a hell of an achievement. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe maybe Matt Painter's comments about nobody believing him is more is beyond the scope of this year because they've now won the conference two of the last three seasons. Um, before that, though, for the this current generation of players and the guys immediately before them, boy, there was a very real chance he was going to be on his way out. Because in that, yep. that time period after the Baby Boilers, they were walking in the desert for a while. They had successive recruiting classes that just didn't work out. They had some guys with terrible... You remember Ronnie Johnson? My yeah. God. He was their best player for a hot minute, man. And it was just... It was... Man. And you know... But the thing is, the team never actually did all that badly. No, it's not it, like they it, bombed out and were in the cellar. It but. was just... You saw the fallout from the Baby Boilers, they weren't achieving those heights. Um, and it was always like, wow, we're going into this year. And, you know, you look at what they lost last year and they didn't bring in much. So, boy, he's surely going to get fired on the results of this year. And then it didn't happen because they did a lot better than we thought. Although, frankly, it feels like part of the reason they didn't fire him was just because Purdue was so damn cheap. <laughs> <laughs> like the period where the period where he was having where he bottomed out where he had his worst time where maybe a more aggressive athletic department would have fired him like they wouldn't spend the money to put up lights at the football stadium so yeah. no they weren't gonna buy Matt Painter out unless they absolutely had to and look this turns out to be the time where excessive frugality works out in their favor because he's he's certainly on an annual basis one of the three best coaches in the conference him Mizzo Beeline in some order um, and then, well look know. if you I mean it's kind of thing like if you just invested in in whiskey before the 2008 collapse, then you didn't lose any of your assets. Right, exactly. All right, so that brings us, perhaps fittingly, in alphabetical order to the last team in the conference, one that's kind of tough to evaluate because they're back in the top four, the Wisconsin Badgers. And this is where... Democracy has its limits in the context of a sports blog because what what does it mean when everybody is allowed to submit their projections before the season starts? Well, it means that we have Minnesota writers voting and we have Iowa writers voting. And what do they do every season? They usually usually there's somebody that predicts Wisconsin will go winless. And, it's like football though. <laughs> It's like football, though. Even, right. even with the joke votes, we still are always predicting the death of Wisconsin. What we need to do is just predict them to win the national title. And, and then they'll die. 
<laughs> yeah. So we, the overall projection we had for Wisconsin was 17 and 14. We thought they would go 10 and 10 in conference. So um, if we forgot that Ethan Hat plays basketball. No. Well, and the, the excuse we heard from a, a writer who shall remain anonymous who who tanked them this year was, well, I thought Hap was going to be their whole team because that's what it was last year. Like, well, okay, yes, he was by far their best player last year and would have been regardless of what else had happened. But they also had all their guards get hurt last year. <laughs> like, of course, that's they took true. a step backwards. Um, and then, yeah, and they had much better health this season. So, yeah, they finished a lot better. They got back in the top four. Um, I mean, it's a dubious strategy for, for guard to have a player on his roster in Khalil Iverson whose only purpose is to annihilate Illinois, a team he, that they beat all the time. He played pretty spectacularly yesterday, too. He kind of saved them because Hap didn't really have his normal scoring output. But My God! The <laughs> Wisconsin, I mean... Uh, Honestly, there should be there should be an eye test in basketball, not for whether a team's good, but for whether or not your eyes burn when you watch. Okay. When you look at some of these scores, okay, 62-46 win against Stanford. They played Virginia. Okay, that game should be illegal. They yeah, lost 53 to 46. Uh, let's see what they lost to Minnesota 59-52. Uh, they won 62-46 against Northwestern. Oh my god, they won 56-51 at Minnesota. How are we still doing this? Well, look, it, I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it's just because I actually really like watching Ethan Hat play. Like, I appreciate his particular set of skills. But I didn't find them as objectionable to watch this year as they typically are. Even though, as you point out, based on an objective standard, scoring more points is normally correlated with a better, more appealing brand of basketball. But I didn't mind them as much this year. Um, it, for example, I would much rather watch the current vintage of Wisconsin than the Trayvon Hughes years or the Jordan Taylor. I was just going to say Jordan um, Taylor. Yeah, give me this any day because when you watch Ethan Happ, like you're like, okay, at least with him, I can tell there is some kind of offensive skill going on here. Like The best Wisconsin game to watch was uh, in the Jordan Taylor era when they wore red and Illinois wore orange. I was uh, everything ab- for that yeah, game. Everything about it should just be <laughs> eye-hurting. So we'll just it'll just look like the whole court is on fire, and then you'll understand why nobody is scoring any points because they're all they're all on fire. They're, they're looked in at my sheet music the whole time. Imminent damage to their physical well-being. So this feels like a little bit of a writing the ship thing now. That being said, uh, next year is going to be an interesting one for Greg Gard because Hap is certainly their best player and he's gone. Iverson, I know, has been mostly disappointing to Wisconsin fans, but he had some big moments this year too. Uh, what's their offense look like next year? Because if you want to know, do they have any impact recruits coming? No, they don't. They're Wisconsin. Yeah, recruits and, and recruiting and development, like Hap is kind of the last forward that Bo Ryan developed. I th- see, I actually think Nate Reavers is going to be just fine, but he's going to he's also going to be the only one. Like I don't know who else. His name's not Greg Forward. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know who else they have that's going to be able to play down low next year. Um, And again, it's fair to say they've had this developmental model. Like, I think Trice was a good deal better this year. He was also healthy. Um, There were signs that Brevin Pritzel might actually live up to the recruiting ranking that he had. I think he was at least a mid-four star, so they'll probably have... That's a Wisconsin-ass name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his name is a snack, for God's sake. Yes. (laughs) It's it's only because his name isn't, you know, Munster Pritzel. Like, that's the only thing that would be more Wisconsin, honestly. But uh, they're going to have decent guard 
playing next year, but their guards are all little. And so the question will just be, well, don't you just guard the three and trust that if they drive, you cover and defend? Because outside of Reavers, I don't know who they have that doesn't play the one or the two that's going to be any good. So you mentioned guard the three, and that just that just makes me think of uh, something that I mentioned before the podcast that I really wanted to highlight was uh, in Indiana's dis- destruction of Illinois senior day, uh, they scored like 52 points in the first half. It just, just annihilated the defense. And I don't know if he meant to do this, but Archie Miller delivered just <laughs> an unbelievable burn of Brad Underwood when he was talking about Illinois' you know, pressure defense. And he said, well, you know, they, 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 they force you to take layups and threes. Just ethered him, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Illinois' defense they just is make designed you take... to force you into the most efficient possible scoring They just modes. make you take the shots that every coach under the age of 80 wants you to take. <laughs> yeah, they really do a good job at taking away the long, low percentage two. You're not going to get those looks from the elbow anymore against Illinois, I'll tell you that. Yes. And, and they, they also do a good job of taking away the three-quarter court heave. Yes. Okay, Yikes. so that, that brings us to our conclusion. Um, we'll go now through kind of some big picture things. We've been at this for well over an hour, and I know we're losing people if we haven't already. I don't know how we're going to divide this into pieces, but maybe we shouldn't. You know, if you want if you want to hear us talk about the entire Big Ten season, this is how long it's going to take. Um, we'll start with the who's your player of the year. Um, I I just I gotta say. I gotta say Carson Edwards. All right. I mean, it's... Because, frankly, you know, when you score a lot of points, your team is going to win more often than not. Yeah. Yes, I know. Lamar Stevens. I know. (laughs) Right. I was like, you're ignoring one of the best players in the Big Ten, as we know. Uh, So, no, I I do... There's no doubt in my mind that it's Cassius Winston. He formally did win the award today, so it's it's kind of just our opinion of it. Um, First of all, by counting stats, he's really not that far off from Carson Edwards. And then the other thing is think like a comprehensive game of what a point guard is supposed to be because with Carson Edwards there's never any question about whose shot he's looked for and it's his and that's a trait that scored him a lot of points it also led to like three for 21 I think was a stat line that he actually had in a game um there were plenty of instances where Purdue won in spite of him not because of him and granted yes his volume scoring won them some other games but in their losses you can reliably look and he's shooting like 20 percent taking a lot of shots and it's not like these are all shots that he has to have they have other guys who are capable of scoring and it's not like they're good shots either like he's taking shots 10 seconds left on the shot clock hand in his face fading away deep deep three and yeah he scored a lot of points he's a really good player you could do worse as a foundational piece but to be honest i'd rather have xavier simpson as a point guard i don't think he's even the third best point guard in the conference in terms of building a team around now if you're putting together guys to play pickup yeah give me him number one every time but i'd rather have winston and i'd rather have simpson that being said uh if that being said it could could just be that i mean for a long long time Illinois didn't have a, a distributor and they were just trying to make shooting guards point guards and that's kind of seems like what Purdue's doing Carson Edwards is the kind of guy that would be great if he had a guy to distribute him the ball but they don't really have that guy that facilitator no, they don't yeah so it's really tough to to get the most out of a player like Carson Edwards and even still yeah. it's the other still, the other guards they played big match Ryan Klein no Eastern those yeah those are not guys who can use a guard so Winston had a 2.6 assist to turnover ratio yeah and that's and that's keep in mind like the Illinois game he had nine turnovers like he had a couple <laughs> he had a couple of real stinkers um but they were pretty rare and he got better over the course of the season the other thing is he played if I had to 
guess he probably averaged about 36 minutes a game. Um, he only the second Michigan game he only played 31 because he had two fouls in the first half, so he had to sit for a while. Average 33.2. That is still an awful lot. He he cracked a thousand minutes this year. Yeah, and that's I'm sure some of that was just him coming out early and blowouts early on. Because there were I mean I don't think he could not have played less than 30 minutes any single Big Ten game. If I averaged think. him 19 points a game too. Yeah, and the other thing is despite getting a pretty decent volume of points he was an extremely efficient shooter like I would I would venture a guess that above a certain minimum threshold he had to be the most efficient shooter big um but anyway difference of opinion is fine on that the, the official voters in my opinion got it right um, yeah I could definitely I mean you, you can see why Cassius Winston won it I just I, th- I think I think more of it is just that I think I would think that Carson Edwards maybe still has more more upside but as far as what they did this year I mean Cassius Winston's body of work is really hard to argue with yeah so we'll move on then I think we can probably skip defensive player of the year because I don't think either of us really know what we're talking about that much I mean I thought Matt McQuaid's transition into a defensive stopper was mind-boggling that's why they won the first Purdue game because McQuaid guarded Edwards and Edwards had the worst game of his season um outside of that though there were plenty of good defensive players in the league this year Matt McQuaid was just the one I saw the most so that would be my vote but we can probably skip over that so freshman of the year this was one I'd actually be interested to hear your take on since you watched Io Dosun I mean, I kind of think that it's hard to understate his impact on account of Illinois was a team that was very much dead in the water, and he absolutely iced their two biggest games. Uh, he was a guy that was uh, a really consistent presence as a distributor, but also had to step up as a shooter uh, when they needed him to. I can totally see why they gave it to uh, unpronounceable McNamenstein, um, but you got to think that if Illinois won more games, <laughs> they might have been persuaded otherwise. Maybe so, yeah. Um, I do think Bresdik is deserved it though i mean the only the only counter argument in my mind would have been langford but you know there were like we said he was just he was just sort of there um and it's pretty easy to see that there's a correlation between your team's success and whether you're going to win awards or not brezdikis was by far the best freshman on any of the contending teams i think that can be said um dosunmu and langford may have individually deserved it more but because their teams are in the bottom half of the rankings you're not going to see him as much well, and of course uh dosunmu had to have some of his votes split by georgia bashanishvi that's true. You know, actually, that's true. <laughs> Georgie Vashanishvili should get a, a vote just for the fact that at Purdue, he fouled out with just over eight minutes to go and then didn't sit down <laughs> until under four, forcing everybody to keep counting his steps and then wait to do the to, to, to do the sit down thing. That's just a great, that's, that's a, that's a savvy veteran move right there on his part. Yeah. So, well, I mean, he is like 26 and but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. All right. Um, you know, we were going to do a who do you fire segment at the end. We kind of touched it as we went through. Um, the most fired coach right now, I think is Tim Miles. And I don't know yeah. if there's a close second. I don't think there is. I don't know. I mean, we've heard plenty of grumbling from our fellows here on the podcast, but look like Minnesota is probably not firing Patino Penn state. I don't know if they're firing chambers. I guess they could. Who, who would really know? But like, why? Who would I really mean, care? Yeah. What, what like, would they do instead? You really see Penn State going out and making a splash higher? That's not going to happen. Yeah. So why fire that Chambers? Well, I guess at some point you have to, as we mentioned earlier, it's the question of expectation. What is good enough? Um, other than that, I don't see anybody going. Turgeon's stand put. Turgeon's fine. McCaffrey is fine. Underwood and Miller are certainly both fine. They're both in your team. I mean, so. let's see. <laughs> the, well, who do you think is the second most fired coach then? I still, the Chambers. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they will. I think, I think Miles is probably the only guy who does get fired, but. 
Gonna be furious if we lose that first round tournament game. If Illinois does, because boy, that's gonna be six of the last seven. Still can't really fire Underwood unless he does something particularly bad. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We'll be back after the tournaments, guys. Peace. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.